Hello and welcome to TP Talks, PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series, where PwC tax professionals share their insights on key transfer pricing developments. Our podcast today covers some transfer pricing hot topics, including geopolitical developments, controversy, country-by-country reporting, as well as digitalization. This podcast was moderated by PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Leader, Isabel Verlinden, and also features guest speakers Andrea Lee from the Aztec Group and PwC Transfer Pricing Partner, Gabby Bess. Have a listen. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this podcast on transfer pricing hot topics. Uh, my name is Isabel Verlinde. I'm a transfer pricing partner based in Brussels, and I'm also facilitating our global PwC transfer pricing practice. I have uh, two most uh, distinguished uh, guests with me. So, uh, Andrea? Uh, my name is Andrea Lee. Uh, I'm the head of controlling and transfer pricing from, of Aztec Group, which is a banking group. And uh, we have Gabi as well. Hello, my name is Gabi Bess. I'm a transfer pricing partner in, in Amsterdam and I nowadays lead our, uh, our ITS practice in the Netherlands. So I'm a bit your uh, moderator for uh, today. So I would like to first um, hear the perspectives from you, Gabi, um, on where the world is heading to, how we have to assess geopolitical sort of developments uh, in the current context and how this affects our day-to-day life as TP uh, transpressing practitioners. Sure, I think, yeah, um, we, we start, of course, if, if you look at it, we've, we've come from a financial crisis um, where, where governments after that clearly were focusing on, uh, on their treasury budget, so to say. And at the same time, I think a lot of people were, the, the populations of, of those countries were affected by the crisis and, and started, I think, to focus much more on, on what governments did, but also on whether the multinationals were um, uh, paying their fair share. And um, I think with that, um, of course, um, we had the BEPS program, uh, much, um, a lot of anti-abuse legislation around the world. So you see, I think that that's one trend. If you combine that with um, a trend on, on digitization, which clearly is, is affecting all of us around the world, and the need for transparency and, and the drive for transparency, transparency both um, uh, fed by governments and society, um, also on, on uh, uh, again on, on tax payments and, and paying the fair share. I think that's sort of if you look at um, uh, the, the a number of trends which which we're facing and that's resulting in, in new legislation that's resulting in, in um, governments focusing on on their territory, protecting their fair share. Um, and yeah, I think uh, um, things like trade wars, uh, are a good example of that. Um, um, we're here today on, um, uh, on, on let's say, where um, British Parliament is going to vote on, on Brexit again, uh, and, and who knows what, um, what the outcome will be and what that will mean for, uh, um, for all of us. And I think if you, yeah, that, that makes it quite an uncertain world on, on the one hand for, for companies who are, with the help of digitization, also becoming more and more global, um, where then they're acting in countries which are focusing more and more on their own territory. And that combined with a lot of new legislation, which also keeps coming, I think we'll, we'll talk about um, the, um, the OECD uh, paper on digitization later on. And yeah, 
change is everywhere and that just means that we need to be more and more prepared, better prepared, not just have transfer pricing documentation, but also have your, your systems ready, um, have your processes right uh, and, um, and be ready to be, uh, to be challenged. Uh, and and, and adding, adding, adding on that, I can confirm that our life as taxpayers is not getting any easier. Uh, I do appreciate the work OECD is doing, however, it's adding complexity to our already very complex world. And the fact that uh, if you look at the individual countries that are trying to protect their tax base, that means we are actually uh, facing uh, issues locally where uh, disregarding what uh, OECD uh, agrees on, the countries react differently, right? And on top of that, we have got not really functioning mutual agreement procedures, and uh, this is the world we live in. And, uh, and uh, you know, the, the, the work that um, OECD is doing, now the direction digitalization, is not going to improve that. So let's see how the world's going to look like for us taxpayers in, in one, two or three years but we see substantial increase of disputes, um, substantial increase of uh, burden exactly on the, on the documentation and, and, and supporting documentation. And uh, yeah, uh, we're now starting uh, new audits in uh, many countries. So let's see where this is gonna take us. We're very happy to have you here, Andrea. Uh, we're in, uh, in Vienna, the nice city of Vienna. Uh, Erste Bank, it's an icon on um, the uh, Austrian market. Uh, you only have 24 hours in a day. Um, you already touched on digitization, um, but there is also the financial transactions, ongoing work of the OECD. Um, but if we look at it from um, controversy perspective, avoiding controversy or dealing with controversy when it happens. So um, if there are like a few things uh, that you would say uh, for us to keep in mind in day-to-day -day managing mm -hmm. of your function, mm -hmm. uh, what would you think is the most important? Because I want to throw in um, country by country reporting. Mm -hmm. Financial sector was the first sector um, confronted with the need to uh, go for country by country reporting. Um, so you must have quite some experience with that. We know that uh, countries are now about to digest um, the, the information in it since, uh, since uh, last year in the mm. fall. Mm. Uh, what's your experience and, and how do you manage that day to day? Mm. Thank you. Uh, if I could give one advice how we manage uh, is, uh, it becomes like a karma to say, document, document, document. This is one thing I've, uh, I've established when I joined the bank uh, to make sure that every decision we make, every meeting where we discuss uh, topics related to transfer pricing is documented in writing because it makes it so much easier when audit comes five years later and unfortunately here in Austria we have got quite delayed audits. We just finished 2007, uh, which as you can imagine, uh, 10 years is a long period of time and people usually do not remain that long uh, in their seats. Uh, so documentation for me is absolutely crucial and uh, we make sure that we really document every single decision or discussions we have on that topic. Regarding country by country reporting, that was a very interesting uh, experience. Uh, I was involved deeply um, in the discussions um, also with OECD, uh, also here locally in Austria. Uh, practically, it was actually quite entertaining because not even uh, Austrian Ministry of Finance didn't know how many CBCRs they can expect. They were assuming 20. Uh, in my working group of Austrian groups, 
that knew they will have to submit were about 50 entities. At the end, I believe it was around 100. Uh, so it was, we had a lot of interesting uh, discussions on CBCR. Practically, uh, you know, if you look at the, those numbers, and, and I did present them also at the CFO board, uh, most CFOs do not recognize those numbers because it's uh, added up, uh, it's not consolidated, it's a kind of mixture actually partially consolidated, unconsolidated. So it's, it's uh, numbers that uh, are very hard to understand for the CFOs uh, of, the, of the entities. Uh, I believe they are very hard to read. Uh, you can hardly make any conclusions. And because CBCR actually doesn't have any clear decisions, you can't even compare CBCRs of different uh, entities because you're comparing apples and pears, right? So uh, I'm really curious uh, how this will be used going forward. Uh, we've been publishing as a bank CBCR uh, based on on, um, on a risk directive already for several years. There was no excitement about it, no no um, no questions from uh, from public. Uh, so let's see if the uh, public CBCR based on on uh, on the BEPS uh, uh, discussions uh, will happen and what impact that would have. Because I can understand that many many groups have fear mm -hmm. how this data will be understood or misunderstood and 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 uh, um, yeah. But as I said, we we didn't make any any bad experiences. It's interesting uh, that you mentioned country-by-country country reporting. A lot of clients are um, talking uh, a lot about CBCR, what their C-suites are uh, telling them about it. But uh, Gabi, um, we are, as transfer pricing practitioners, we have to file the master file. We have to work on master files that are potentially blueprints of transfer pricing audits, whereas country-by-country country reporting is in principle only high-level risk assessment. So uh, are there a few guidelines uh, on master file, value chain analysis that um, you think um, are worthwhile sharing? Wow, um, yeah, I think um, I would say um, um, at least be aware of, of, of um, um, what is, for example, on your website. Um, I, I tend to, um, um, if I look at a new client, for example, I typically go to their website and there's most companies nowadays have an, an about us section uh, and uh, investor relations uh, pre, um, uh, presentations on, on the strategy of the group. And I think ultimately um, uh, that's where tax authorities would look at as well. And, and therefore, whatever you put in your master file um, should at least be in line with what you're publishing on your website. And, and uh, um, what, because also Look at, look at annual reports. If you, typically an annual report has a whole section on the strategy of a group. Yes. Um, it's quite funny if, if actually if, if your master file would, would not be in line with, with what, it, what is in there. And same, most companies publish um, who their key competitors are. So actually I, would, um, I sometimes make the joke that, that if you have a good about us section, actually half of the work of the master file is already done. But, but just if I can add on that, that's exactly what we do. We take uh, most of the data from our annual report. So you're right, actually, half of our data, uh, uh, description in master file comes from annual report. And uh, maybe one more, uh, one more comment in master file. Uh, we have just opened a new text audit and uh, came request that they would like to see the master files uh, already based on the new requirements. 
which we will be handing today over. And I am nervous, to be honest. It's a, it's a really compact overview of how our group works, what are the biggest transactions. And my concern is that if tax authorities get it provided this way, the easiest way for them will be to say, well, and now provide me supporting documentation for all of that. That means I need to hire three people to start doing the work because in the size of our organization, and, and I'm talking uh, 6 billion revenues, 45,000 employees, it's not an easy task, right? We, we, we have got all kind of transactions, uh, so document all that on an individual basis is impossible. So let's see how, how the practical experience will be and where this journey is going to take us. Yeah, and I think if it, that, that ultimately, um, Isabel, what we should keep in mind is that the master file um, should be linked to, to your CBCR. You sh it, it should match with each other. And as you say, you, you mentioned the word value chain analysis. At the end of the day, um, I think the value chain analysis is, is sort of becoming the core of, of a description of, of what a company does and, and um, including the, um, the um, uh, call it the allocation of the profit in, in that way or describing what the, the key value drivers are. And at the end of the day, you would want to see that back in your master file, but ultimately you want to see that in, in your CBCR as well. And um, I must say, uh, I was surprised that, that I think a lot of companies have paid a lot of attention to table one in their CBCR report but actually most of them didn't pay real attention to table two. And I've, I've had situations where table two um, mentioned that in a certain country there's a manufacturing function, whereas if you then look at um, um, the number of headcounts, um, it only had two people. Well, typically manufacturing is quite difficult with only two individuals. And um, I think ultimately, therefore, it, it, it all needs to um, come together and match with each other. Absolutely. This uh, brings us to the last uh, topic for uh, this podcast, and that is digitalization of the economy, dealing with the challenges, the ongoing work of the OECD. So uh, they published the report mid-February, and I think uh, there were like uh, 2,000 pages of uh, comments from over 200 commentators, quite some multinational enterprises, academics, uh, but also uh, professional service providers. Um, any any thoughts you have uh, further to um, what now the next steps are for uh, the OECD? Because I'm going to take a, uh, a quick sidestep uh, just as a sort of uh, a reminder to what's in the paper. It's only like uh, 30 pages, so it's not much. Two pillars. Uh, the second pillar I'm going to start with, but this is the pillar that um, needs some further maturing because it touches on fundamental principles of international taxation. It's about minimum taxation. Can I, as a country, say that if another country doesn't um, levy enough taxes, can I say that uh, a certain uh, measure should uh, kick in to um, impose minimum taxation? And this was borrowed from uh, the US tax reform. We have acronyms like beat, uh, guilty. These are acronyms that aren't the most funny ones to be confronted with. Um, so, uh, But we leave this uh, pillar a bit aside as transfer pricing practitioners. But coming back to the first pillar, there are three sections. One of the sections is, should we expand the notion of marketing intangibles and go beyond a transactional approach to marketing intangibles? 
to argue that part of the economic rent, part of the residual in an organization should be attracted to the country where the consumers are. The other is um, active user participation. If I am a user of an online search machine or I am on social media, I know that my data are captured um, and that uh, a commercialization is done with my data. That's why I get uh, very uh, tailored uh, advertising on my computer screen. Um, so for this sort of uh, user participation, does that mean also that we have to allocate more uh, profit to the um, market country? And the third one is uh, significant economic presence. So do we need to enlarge the nexus of a permanent establishment in a certain country? So looking at Andrea and at um, Gabi here, uh, any thoughts about the um, the proposals on user participation or marketing intangibles? Well, what 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 fascinates me is that it, that it's presented as 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 a paper on digitization, but if you especially the point on on the, the marketing intangible that 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 will basically affect all of us. It, it's not just the the digital companies. It, it um, whether you're in, in a pharmaceutical consumer goods or, or um, even even um, uh, car manufacturing, I think it 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 um, um, the more cars you will have in a country driving of your brand uh, may actually mean that you need to allocate more profit to that country, which for me um, um, is quite a new concept, of course, given where where how we historically looked at, looked at these things. So um, it's and I think that's. Um, you, you mentioned it's only 30 pages and the fact that um, there's 2,000 pages of response uh, um, um, says enough in that sense. Yeah, it, it definitely challenges everything we've learned and knew the last 30 years. So um, it will be interesting how this is going to develop further. I'm, I'm, I'm still not quite sure what impact this may have for us as a bank. Mm -hmm. uh, which will be interesting, uh, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's it's a big topic, and uh, I guess we will all wait and see what happens next. That's um, absolutely um, uh, an interesting uh, thought, uh, Andrea, and um, what um, what I sometimes uh, share with non fiscal uh, experts, like if the C suite uh, asks for what is this about this digitalization paper then I'm, I'm i'm usually telling them like beps was about increasing the cake or the zachertorte i should mm. say here in vienna <laughs> uh, so we have increased the cake so multinationals risk to have to pay more taxes on an overall basis but now comes the interesting part it's how we're gonna divide the cake because now we are talking about allocation of taxing rights to the various countries and I think, Gabi, you uh, rightfully already hinted to that, like uh, who is going to claim uh, which part of the cake. And then uh, thirdly, the second pillar on minimum taxation, it is a pillar that touches on um, capital import neutrality after all. So it goes beyond the sort of relevance from a pure uh, tax perspective. So um, interesting times. So maybe a, a last question if I can ask you for your two cents of wisdom um, to share with the audience here. Um, and I would start with Andrea. <laughs> uh, well, um, let me think about two cents of wisdom. 
Um, I believe it's it's uh, important to keep your feet on the ground. Uh, and now talking as a practitioner, uh, sitting in an audience of advisors, uh, uh, I have always that feeling that, especially when I come to conferences, that uh, everything we do is wrong and we are not following up with, with the latest trends and, and uh, we need to completely redesign everything, everything we do. But for most of us practitioners, when you come down to your day-to-day -day jobs, uh, you just you just need to keep uh, you need to live in reality. That's the important thing. You need to live in the reality. And my feeling is sometimes, or quite sometimes quite often actually, uh, that uh, when you look at the discussions and the papers that OECD produces, um, that uh, they they live in a virtual reality. And, and they live in a different world, which uh, I can't even imagine how we can then implement it in, in a day-to-day -day business. So stay calm, do your business, uh, it will somehow sort itself out. And uh, the second advice would be really document endlessly. You can't over-document. Uh, this, is, this is my mantra and it really, uh, it really proved uh, as a good investment, especially if you in a countries like we are, which is CE countries, that uh, they look more on amounts rather than the quality. Uh, so uh, stick to documentation. It's, uh, it's hard to remember what was discussed a year later or two or three or five. Uh, so you can't go wrong with that. Gabi? <laughs> Yeah, I think as as we started, I think we live in a in a in a in a volatile world. It, it's constantly changing, not not just legislation, etc., but I think attitudes of governments. Um, as mentioned, technology is impacting all of us, and um, I tend to say that that um, of course there are a lot of things which you can't influence, um, but stay closer at home. Look at what you can control, what you can influence, and and make sure that what what is capable of being controlled uh, uh, under your, on, on your own wings, um, try to, uh, to at least comprehend that and, and make sure that, as Andrea says, document things, but I think overall also um, make sure that, that you know what's going on, that, that you're connected, that your systems are set up in the right way, uh, um, because that, that, yeah, at the end of the day, um, um, there's enough change already which you can't influence, so um, um, try at least at home to control what you can. And if I can add on that, and walk the talk, <laughs> right? Uh, it's, it's very important, uh, especially in the big groups, uh, to make sure that what you're actually putting into your policy, what you're documenting, it's also being left in the real life. And that's a fantastic one uh, to end with, uh, Andrea, walk the talk, because this brings me to maybe uh, one suggestion. Uh, take a deep dive in your value chain. Look at what uh, drives your what we call your economic rent in a day by day basis. On a day by day basis, where do we make money? What's important? Um, whether it's in a digital environment or not, uh, this is going to be important. If we talk about big data, what's the value of raw data? Well, having data on thousands of customers may mean nothing in your um, commercial activity unless you can do something with the data that makes your um, uh, product or service offering better. So it's that sort of value chain analysis. And I do appreciate that the term is used in a lot of instances and you might feel fatigue 
for the notion of value chain analysis, but there is really no substitute to do that. So you take a deep dive in the value chain and then you walk the talk. So with this, I would like to thank my uh, uh, co-panelists here for today. I would like to thank the organizers here in our lovely office in uh, PwC Vienna, and we hope to uh, be able to talk to you soon again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please contact the speakers. You can find their contact information in the description of this episode at pwc.com forward slash tptalks. Thank you. Thank you.